Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors. If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you. Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass. On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats. The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of How Did We Not Know That? I'm Nat. I'm Jack. And today, Jack is going to be talking about a part of history that I don't know about. It is the Gilded Age. Yeah. But before we start, I have some announcements. Firstly, follow us on social media at HDWNKT. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. (laughs) Give us a like on Facebook. And then if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and like let us know what you think of it. We'd really appreciate that. Yeah, leave a, give a comment. That would help us a lot. We love reading our one comment over and over. Let us know how you're doing. We would really just like some interaction. <laughs> it like, makes our day. Also, as always, please check out our Patreon at How Did We Not Know That. And we want to give a shout out to our most recent Patreon, Caroline from California. Thank you so much for becoming a history hero. And let us know if you have a topic you want us to cover because we will do that. Yeah, thank you, Caroline. You're great. <laughs> we have recently started a monthly newsletter. So at the end of each month, we'll just re- send out a quick email telling you what episodes we release that month. You can go to our website at hdwnkt.com to sign up for it. It's under the contact page. Yeah, we have a lot of big updates coming to this show soon. So if you sign up for monthly newsletters, you get the inside scoop on everything behind the scenes and all of our plans and things. So be sure to subscribe to that. (laughs) For sure. And then we can like just see who's listening, which would be nice (laughs) sometimes. Like, are you guys there? Yeah. (laughs) Is anyone listening to (laughs) Hello? Anyways, okay. The Gilded Age. Yay. First off, do you know what gilded means? Gilded? Isn't that like, oh my gosh, I'm about to sound real stupid, but it doesn't have to do with like metal and like gilded. I think of like gold and metal stuff. Yeah. Really? Well, yeah. So gilded actually means like, it's like metal, like tin, a cheap metal, and then it's thinly covered with gold paint. And then gilded also means wealthy or privileged. Oh. The term Gilded Age was coined by Mark Twain and Charles Dudley Warner in their 1873 book, The Gilded Age, A Tale of Today. And that book was a criticism on social inequality during that time in America. Draw a contrast between the golden age, where the golden age is everyone's doing well, everyone's thriving, and it's a golden era. But Gilded is kind of a sarcastic comment on what's happening because it seems like everything's great because we have these mega millionaire Mm -hmm. billionaires 
emerging, but everyone else is suffering. So it just looks like it's golden. It's actually just gilded. Wow. That's tea. Yeah. That's major tea. <laughs> so yeah, basically America seems great, but it literally sucked for basically everyone. <laughs> and this is the time period in America of the mega wealthy who are known as barons. So Ooh. that's Rockefeller, yeah. that's Carnegie, Vanderbilt, JP Morgan. And this is a time where there's huge, huge, huge monopolies in very, very expensive industries mm-hmm. like oil and steel and the railroads. So the Gilded Age started after the Civil War in 1865 and it ended around 1898. And do you know why it might have ended? Uh, the Spanish American War? Yeah, it did. Are you- <laughs> Yes! Oh my gosh. You guys, we're, we talk about, I feel like we keep bringing up Spanish-American War. Well, we're going to do an episode about it. So the reason the Gilded Age started was because we had a second industrial revolution. So do you remember what the first industrial revolution was like? Yeah, wasn't that with the invention of like the cotton gin? Wait, what's a cotton gin? Oh, isn't that like they process, like you can process cotton easily to like turn it into fabric? Yeah, it's like a textile, textile mill. Yeah, it's like textile. But wait, didn't the first industrial revolution start in England and like the Great Britain and then like it made its way over to the U.S.? Yeah, it bleeds into the U.S. anyways because we're doing trade with Britain. But yeah, it's like textile mills and canal boats and the steam engine oh yeah 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 Yeah. so then the second industrial revolution is mainly this new process to create steel and steel isn't a new technology they already made steel there was a new process called the Bessemer steel process it produced higher quality steel that was faster and cheaper okay also there was like the assembly line with Henry Ford so that made cars really cheap So much so that even his workers could afford to buy them, which just helped his company because then you're selling more cars. Wow, okay, yeah. Now, this is all coming back to me. It's like fifth grade history that I forgot. I didn't even remember the first one. I was like, oh yeah, canal boats, that's a thing. With all of this, like, technology emerging and the industrial industrialization, Uh, We also see an urbanization effect. And so urbanization is the process of moving to cities. During this time, before the Gilded Age, most people were living in rural areas. There ended up being about 11 million American-born people who migrated from the countryside to cities between 1870 and 1920. And then an additional 25 million immigrants, mostly, again, from Europe, who had moved to the United States. Wow, that's a lot. With all of these big, big fortunes, that are getting built during this time. They were built off of the backs of immigrants. And one of the biggest examples of that is the Transcontinental Railroad. And we're gonna do a whole nother episode in depth on this because it's a very chunky piece of history in the United States that they often do not cover. But the plan for the Transcontinental Railroad was to connect the entire USA by railroad. Over 40,000 miles of steel were laid down to create the tracks. And to put that into perspective, coast to coast, if you going to drive from California to New York, West Coast to East Coast, that's only about 3,000 miles. And so to lay down 40,000 miles of steel, they're really connecting all of the United States as much as they possibly can. Because of the railroad, they were able to greatly improve our ability to transport goods across the country. And the railroad was built by 90% Chinese immigrants. 
of the workers, 90% of them are Chinese. They're not like, yeah. I'm a 90% Chinese person. <laughs> <laughs> Just to like clarify, I, when I said that, I was like, is that clear to everyone? <laughs> Anyways, and then the last 10% were Irish immigrants and the Chinese immigrants were always paid less than their white counterparts, mm. which were usually Irish. Ay, ay, ay. I know. And they would go on strike a lot to protest the injustice and they never got to equal wages. Wow. So the railroad finished in May of 1869 and this was a project of Leland Stanford who is the founder of Stanford University and he got extremely wealthy from the railroad and the work of Chinese immigrants and it's just ironic because Leland Stanford was the governor of California and his campaign was made on the basis of being anti-Chinese. He advocated against giving Chinese people rights and he abused them during their time working on the railroads and then he became like disgustingly rich because of them. That's so upsetting. That's disgusting. I had no idea. Stanford. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Fun fact, I'm half Chinese and this didn't affect my ancestors. So much as they didn't work on the railroad yeah. but the next thing did so in 1882 the chinese exclusion act was put into place so the railroad gets finished in 1869 you have this huge group of immigrants who just worked so hard mm -hmm. to build it and now what they've built has extremely benefited the country beyond our greatest imagination it's connecting us it's increasing our output and then they decided to ban all chinese immigrants a complete ban no immigration from china at all so that did affect my family because my family was not able to come to the U.S. and they immigrated to Malaysia instead. Wow. So my like ancestors from Europe left around the same time as my ancestors from China, but my ancestors from Europe got to come to the United States. My ancestors from China came to Malaysia. It's not that they didn't want to come to yeah, America, it's that couldn't. they literally could not. Jesus. Yeah. And it cracks me up because like people are always like, um, oh, like you're so lucky that, you know, your dad was American born. Like broski, um, my Chinese side did not have that right. Yeah. Just the audacity. Yeah. The audacity. The audacity. How dare you? No, that's that's weird to think about. I digress. <laughs> yeah. The Chinese Exclusion Act not only bans Chinese immigrants, but it also denies the ones who were already there, who built the railroad. The, it denied them citizenship, and it also segregated them from the rest of society. That's awful. That's yeah. so disgusting. Like, oh, thanks for your cheap labor, and, like, thanks for, like, working extremely hard over this railroad and like now get out like that's oh yeah. that's so upsetting the exclusion act uh was not fully lifted until the immigration and nationality act of 1965 wow that's such a long period of time yeah literally they started to lift it in 1943 but it was a quota of only 105 max Chinese immigrants could be taken in per year. That's And so it, it was like a very, very, very tiny amount would be let in. And then 1965, they finally got rid of it. That's like really recently. I did not realize it took that long for that to be repealed. Holy moly. So those workers worked six days a week and they made $26 a month, which is a little over $1 a day. And that's about $31 today. So roughly only $3 an hour in today's oh my money. God. I'm I'm saying that they worked only 10 hours a day and that's a conservative estimate. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And that's like hard labor. Jeez. Yeah, a lot of them died. You would get paid one extra dollar if you did the tunneling work 
which is the most dangerous part. That's where a lot of people would die because the tunnels would cave in oh on them. Oh my god, that's so scary. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awful. But that extra dollar, though. Yeah, but, like, if you're getting paid so little, like, one dollar, like, that's a third of your daily salary. Like, that's... It's ridiculous. And the wage gap was about nine dollars between Chinese and Irish oh, workers. Anyways, so that's just the biggest example I wanted to put into there. There are bad working conditions basically all around for immigrants, but that is one of the biggest ones. Bad working conditions in the cities for immigrants. They all lived in very tiny rooms with sometimes 10 of them crammed in together with no light. There's no light in these tiny rooms. There are lots of preventable deaths. There are very long work days, bad working conditions, and a book that I think I'm going to read. We were supposed to read this in high school, but I did not read read it because I wasn't a reader in high school but uh if you're interested you can read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair it's a 1906 novel that illustrates the harsh working conditions in Chicago specifically the meat industry I think yeah yeah did you read it no because like I was so scared I was like a vegetarian for so long and I was like I'm scared to read about meat packing but like I think it's a really important book I should read it especially I think like dude I gotta talk to my mom but I think my family members like my polish side of the family were like they moved to chicago and i think they worked in the meatpacking industry so oh dang yeah like i i gotta get on that but yeah yeah i I think i heard it was very intense and not to spoil anything but i think at one point there's like rats that end up in the meat and for some reason that didn't gross me out some reason i just thought it was like (laughs) Because it is, like, a fictional book, but it's based on actual events. So, for some reason, it didn't click that that very much actually happened. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah. (laughs) So, this leads to the question, how bad was the wealth gap in the Gilded Age? There's a very sharp contrast. On the complete other end of the spectrum are what are known as barons. They're also called robber barons, just because basically, like, the amount of wealth they had was criminal. And they really exploited the flaws of capitalism to the worst extent. So these barons made their wealth through the monopolization Monopolization. (laughs) Monopolization. of huge industries like oil, steel, railroads, and financing. They were as calculated, making $10 a minute in their time. So $10 a minute back in the late 1800s. And that's about $310 a minute in today's terms, which is approximately $18,600 an hour, which is way more than I make. I don't know about you, Nat, if you're like a secret wealthy person. (laughs) Um, uh, I wish. (laughs) Okay, there's a big range too, because Rockefeller is by far the wealthiest out of all the barons we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. this estimate is more like an average between all of the barons but that's insane eighteen thousand six hundred dollars an hour do you know how much bezos makes is it like similar bezos hunt okay i'm just gonna go right into the next stat john d rockefeller for anyone who doesn't know he was the founder of the standard oil company which was the monopoly a monopoly is where you hold so many companies or control of so much of an industry that people have no choice but to come to you and when that happens it's really 
bad because then without competition, there's no limitation on how you can price your products. So with the Standard Oil Company, since Rockefeller held a monopoly on all oil companies, if you need oil, which basically Everyone. every industry does, <laughs> yeah. you have no choice but to get oil from Rockefeller. And since no one else is competing with Rockefeller, he can just price oil as high as he wants to price it. Wow. He made a ton of money and at his peak he was worth about 318.3 billion in today's money whoa the richest man in the world right now jeff bezos is currently only at a measly 189 billion which is pocket change for a rockefeller i cannot like mentally comprehend that much money oh my gosh i could pay off my loans like i could your loans are pocket change it's a penny to them it's nothing yeah like, oh my god okay jeff bezos if you're listening please <laughs> if there are any billionaires listening please consider donating <laughs> to our patreon please become a history hero and sponsor <laughs> us on patreon yeah oh right? it's only three dollars a month please <laughs> yeah. it's like not even a penny to you <laughs> all you billionaires listening <laughs> so another big baron during this time cornelius vanderbilt built his wealth through railroads and shipping and something interesting is how are, how are these people spending their money right so vanderbilt built these really huge estates and an estate is basically a big house and a lot of land just tons of acres of it i actually went to one of his estates it's called the biltmore estate and that's in north carolina which i also just realized when i was doing this research that that is only one of their estates that's not they have multiple estates but this is just one and I, I don't even think it's Cornelius's. It was one of his descendants who built this estate just for himself. If you can go, it is literally the most greedy thing you will ever lay your eyes on. What the the house is huge. I just remember walking through it and I was like, why does this exist? Yeah. Like, who, who needed <laughs> oh this much? Oh my it's, gosh. They had like gold everywhere, like golden accents. They had a swimming pool Ooh. in the basement and they had a bowling alley. And the swimming pool's nice. What like, I heck? would use it. And a whole changing room. What? And they're not just paying for all of that land and all like this enormous house you're also paying for all of these servants why were those people allowed to get so yeah. wealthy and why were other people so poor? yeah during this time there's actually something called the social darwinism mindset as you may know charles darwin in 1859 published this book on the theory of evolution and this became known as darwinism mm -hmm. No, not social Darwinism. So people twisted the concept of Darwinism and they created a field called social Darwinism. And social Darwinism was used as a justification for racism, sexism, and poverty. And Herbert Spencer uh, spearheaded this philosophy saying, you shouldn't help the poor because it was survival of the mm. fittest. And by helping the poor, you're preventing weaker genes from dying out. So we're gonna go into why the, this is wrong. Basically, in case you didn't know, in case you think that, like, oh, sounds about right. Like, the reason why social Darwinism is wrong is because a lot of people will wrongly think about evolution in terms of a linear progression. There's that one picture and it's like the ape yeah. that turns into the human. Mm -hmm. People think that it's like a linear 
thing. So the human is more developed than an ape. So we are by nature superior. And that's incorrect. That's not the correct way to think about evolution. I also blame the Pokemon game for distorting how we think about evolving. Because even I like, I thought about evolution incorrectly as well, because when your Pokemon evolves, unless you press B, you don't stunt its growth. And so when it evolves, it's supposed to become oh this, God. like, stronger, better yeah. creature. And that's actually not how evolution works. Oh, my. That's so funny. Yeah, so evolution is not a time thing where other species are less evolved or have not been evolving for as much time. Basically, everything that you see today has been evolving for the same amount of time. Evolution is when the mm. adaptations or traits or mutations that suit a species better for a specific environment will survive and thrive better than others without the same gene, but they're coming from the same shared ancestor. There's like a group of beetles and the beetles are, some beetles are green, some beetles are blue, and it's because there's a genetic mutation that some are blue, some are green, and in the environment there happens to be a lot of green foliage and the birds in the environment that eat beetles are having a better time seeing the blue ones instead of the green ones. So mm-hmm. just in that environment, there happens to be more green beetle survival because they're blending in and the blue ones aren't. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the blue ones are inferior to the green ones. It just means in that specific environment, those traits were able to live on. So that's why you see trait variation. Wow. <laughs> you did a good job explaining that. We should become a science podcast <laughs> if the, if history doesn't work out. <laughs> so a lot of people today still think this way, especially with poorer countries. For example, with a lot of African countries, a lot of people modern day like to claim that Africans by nature are inferior or not as smart or civilized and that these are why these countries are poor And that completely ignores the fact that westernized countries have been stealing natural resources, including human labor, slavery, yeah, (laughs) Um, for over 400 years, and they continue to do so. Social Darwinism just completely disregards the effect of colonization on different groups of people around the world. Yeah. This also supported the idea that you shouldn't mix, as we saw with miscegenation laws, which we covered in our episode. We were illegal? That's really bad. The less you tend to mix with people who have different traits than you, then the lower your genetic variation is for your descendants. So the main reason endangered species become endangered is because of the low genetic variation in their gene pool. The same thing with literally every living thing that you see, the lower the genetic variation, the worse off you are because you're less able to adapt to different surroundings when you only have a set amount of traits. Government did very little to help laborers. Politics were actually characterized by scandal and corruption during this time. JP Morgan, who was a wealthy baron, gave $400 million as a loan to the U.S. government. Whoa. And so the government is basically a pawn to the wealthy. There is also something known as the patronage or spoil system, which is where the elected president is allowed to give government positions to their friends or close political supporters. And another big problem with the government is laissez-faire government. Mm. So laissez-faire is a key part in capitalist economics. Laissez-faire policies pose government intervention in society or the market. It comes from like a French word, yeah. right? I think it means let it be or something. Yeah, don't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> don't. <laughs> 
And then, of course, people rose up. Because if they didn't, we would not be here today. (laughs) True. (laughs) Um, True. So between 1881 and 1900s, 35,000 workers per year lost their lives in industrial and other accidents at work. Wow. There are no fewer than 100,000 workers who were on strike each year. And in 1892, about 1,200 strikes involving roughly 164,000 workers took place across the nation. Wow. Yeah. Well, it shows, too, that, like, people have always been and will always fight against injustice. Yeah. And it's because of the efforts of those people that change was made because the government was not doing jack Mm -hmm. squat for them. (laughs) Labor unions started to form. Mm -hmm. So labor unions worked to limit the influence of big businesses and gain rights for all laborers. And they would come together in larger numbers to strike and protest unfair labor wages and conditions. An example of this was the Knights of Labor, which was founded in 1869. Also, I don't know if you like read up about, like saw this in your research about Knights of Labor, but I was also like looking into covering them. I remember reading that like Knights of Labor, like they were a really strong union, but they supported the Chinese Exclusion Act because it would be Chinese immigrants would be competition for them. So, like, that's just, like, something to consider, too, is, like, these lab- a lot of these labor unions, it was, like, yeah, we want, like, the general trend is, like, yeah, we want, like, fair wages and, like, safe working standards, but, like, like, we're only representing white Americans and, like, we're only fighting for white Americans. So, again, like, Americans, of people of color working in America are, like, left out of the picture or are, like... If- trying to be excluded yeah so thank you for adding that it's literally like such a common theme that color does affect the way you get treated yep and there was also the people's populist party and this was a political party that arose in 1890 to champion the interests of farmers and then this is important because this one's on our test oh like the term <laughs> okay. so muckrakers yeah i i remember it from high school but i don't i don't remember what it means but so a muckraker is a reform-minded journalist who formed in the progressive era. So not necessarily the Gilded Age, but there's a bit of overlap. The progressive era is from the 1890s to the 1920s, overlapping with the Gilded Age. So muckrakers exposed established institutions and leaders as corrupt. The work was usually published in magazines. So to close, how did things change and how did it end? So we eventually hit an economic depression in 1893 known as the Panic of 1893. Millions of people were unemployed, homeless, and hungry. Unemployment reaches about 50%. Whoa! 50%? Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty bad. That's huge! Wait, that's, like, literally insane. Yeah. Well, it was a depression. So, (laughs) I'm, like, so desensitized to, like, stats nowadays. I'm like, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, everything sucks. (laughs) And because of that, this leads to lots of anger, from the low and middle class with political corruption and social inequality. So then the progressive movement starts, and that was because of President Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, who took office in 1901 after the assassination of William McKinley. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I should not be, like, so excited, but... (laughs) Yeah, Roosevelt 
supported corporate America, but he believed federal checks and control should be in place to limit excessive corporate greed off the backs of immigrants and the lower class. With the work of the government and muckrakers, so the people, the progressive era was able to usher in a lot of reform that helped shift away power from robber barons such as trust busting with the sherman antitrust laws outlawing monopolies like you cannot own every single thing in an industry you have to have competition and there's also labor reform so eight hour workday no child labor (laughs) child labor laws wow Uh, women's suffrage birth control trade unions, food and medicine regulations. By 1916, America's cities were cleaner and healthier, factories were safer, governments less corrupt, and many people had better housing, working hours, and wages. Fewer monopolies, which meant that more people could pursue the American dream and start their own businesses. Just before we hit World War I, the Spanish flu and the Roaring Twenties. Wow. So most of the robber barons and their families, however, remained wealthy for generations, of course. And progressives still continued their mission to close the gap between the wealthy and poor and champion the needy and disenfranchised. Wow. Wow. So that's the Gilded Age. Amazing job, Jack. It's like, we covered like a lot. Should we say like, okay, should we say that the next episode is going to be our season finale? Oh yeah, let's say that. Okay. Okay, all right, yeah, so be sure to stay tuned next week because it's actually our season finale, last episode of season one, U.S. World History, so yeah, we'll see you guys next week, and... Wait, did you say U.S. World History? Oh my god! <laughs> no, it's okay, uh, honestly, because this episode went longer, so we'll we're just like cut it, time. yeah. Anyways, yeah, US okay, <laughs> yeah, next week is our... Last episode of U.S. World History. No, U.S. History. Oh, my God. I said it again. (laughs) This is our... Okay, next week is our last episode for season one. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't notice, season one has basically only been U.S. History. So season two is going to be World History. So exciting. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we're really excited for that. So stay tuned. We're also going to have a break in between seasons. So after next week, we will take a two-week break. And then we'll come back at it. Yeah. So don't don't miss us too much. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. This has been an episode of How Did We Not Know That. If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That. If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know. We thought so, too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.